Well, good morning, Wellsville. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome our other locations as well as our online viewers. We're glad that you guys are with us as well. Uh, before we jump into the message this morning, just a couple of housekeeping items, announcements. I want to give you an update on our Christmas offering, which if you were here a couple weeks ago, we announced that this year's Christmas offering is for the renovations of our fifth campus in Greece, Rochester. So the goal this year would be $40,000 to help go towards those renovations, which are all already underway and going strong. Uh, last night, we had our red and white dinner. I'm thinking about this, it's the seventh one that we've done. I can't believe that. I mean, it's gone really, really fast, and uh, it was good. It was a good time of fellowship and, and fun. A lot of great auction items that people donated and contributed. All together, guess how much was raised? Get this, over $7,000. Isn't that awesome? That's cool. And um, so if you combine that with last week's offering uh, for the Christmas offering, uh, total, if I did my math right, it's over $8,000. So that's a good start. And uh, yet we're not there yet, so don't celebrate too much. And here's what we would ask. If this is your church, if you consider Crosstown your home church, would you prayerfully consider how you can contribute towards that Christmas offering? Um, we're not expecting any one person to write a $40,000 check, but if you'd like to do that, we would gladly accept it. Um, but every single Christmas offering we've ever done over the last 10 years now towards vision-related items, has always, we've, we've met them all by the grace of God, but it's always come through people's generosity, everybody contributing something. And so you might not feel like you can do a big gift, be a part of it, because there's something that ties your heart with what God wants to do next Easter. It's not about money, it's not about an offering, it's not about a dinner, it's not about any of that. It's about what God wants to do through a church. Once again, we had 16, 17 people left, and the church was gonna die. And there was a church in Wellsville, only in Shingle House and Arcade, who wanted to do something about it. And that's what this offering is about. So please prayerfully consider how you can be a part of that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, people were wondering, you know, how do I give? You can give online. You can give you know, a check, your offering envelope. Just please make sure you clearly mark it Christmas offering so we can differentiate between that and the regular offering. So, speaking of Christmas, the other thing I wanted to... Um, remind you guys of, if I can pull my invites out, our Christmas Eve service. It's on December 24th, right. Uh, you, guys, you guys know that. And uh, if you've ever been to our Christmas Eve service, you know it's, it's one of those services during the year that you do not want to miss, and you don't want to come alone. You know the importance of inviting people because the gospel is proclaimed clearly, and it's just a really special service. There's a candle lighting moment. It's just a very peaceful time to be together with family and friends. And so please do your part in inviting someone to a place of grace. We've given you a tootle, 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 a tool to do that. It's got our Christmas Eve service times and information on the back of this card. We have them in the seats. They're out in the foyer at each location here in, on the seats in Wellsville. The other locations, I think you guys have them on your trees or out in the foyer. Please take one, two, fifty on your way out and invite someone on Easter, uh, not Easter, Christmas Eve. Okay, today we are talking about Christmas. We're starting a three-week series that I'm calling Surviving This Christmas, which I think is an appropriate title because that's kind of what I'm wondering this year. 
wondering, how am I going to survive this Christmas? Aren't you any like, if, if your holiday calendar is anything like mine, you're probably wondering the same thing. It seems like this year, especially this perfect storm, this perfect wave of stress and anxiety and celebrations and family celebrations and all that stuff all rolled into one, and it leaves us with sometimes just barely surviving this next few weeks. And so my prayer for this series for all of us, including me, would be this. How, how do we survive? How do we look to the Bible and get some insight for how to survive this Christmas? Because here's, here's the main question I want you to answer. How do I not get so caught up in consumer Christmas that I miss out on the reason for the season? That's the question I want you guys to answer. How do I not get so caught up in the undertow, this wave of cultural, you know, consumer Christmas that I really miss out on the reason for why Jesus came? How do I not get crushed by the pressures and the demands and the responsibilities to the point in which Christ must, mass, becomes a mass of stress? Okay, we don't want that. None of us want that. And so how do we... How do we go about doing this? And don't get me wrong, I'm not starting this series off by giving a speech on how anti-Christmas, anti-gifts, anti-trees, anti-presents, anti-shopping, anti-God forbid eggnog. You know, I, I love me some eggnog, right? And, and you should too. It's, it's just part of the season that we should embrace, I think. But we also run the risk, if our focus is not where it should be, of making this season about something it should not be. And, and in doing so, we're crushed by this wave, this Christmas paraphernalia wave going on with the worry and anxiety and stress that was never meant to accompany this season. It was never meant to accompany this season as we just behold the reason for this season, this amazing truth that we just sang in Wells, and I'm not sure what you guys sang at the other locations, but Emmanuel, God with us as we embrace that let's really wrap our heads around what that means the doctrine of the incarnation is such an incredible truth that my fear is if we don't keep our eyes on it we'll lose sight of what it's all about now to show you um, what i'm talking about i'm gonna invite where's seth 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 you're my volunteer you sort of know what's coming but not really um, here's, the, here's the main point of the message, Seth. Come over here so they can see your long, flowing hair. <laughs> Seth is, our, um, is involved in our student ministry. He's our drummer uh, at the Wellsville campus for the other people that don't know you. But my, here's my main point. We want to keep Jesus front and center. That's the passage. The passage that we're going to look at really emphasize that. How do, how do we keep Jesus front and center? And so that's what Christmas is all about. How do we behold Jesus, because he's right there. He's like right there for the taking. We're supposed to keep him near and dear to our hearts. But at the same time, we've got all this happening. And all this stuff, not bad, it's just stuff that we, we sometimes pursue and make more important. And so how do we how do, we do both? And so here, here's, what, here's what we have to do sometimes. We have people to see. I'm over here. This is, uh, this is Pastor Stu and his family. Look at him. Looks like a little baby. I don't know if... You guys probably can't see that, but this is Stu when his beard was probably just a centimeter long. Now it's like a foot long, and he looks like a little baby. So young, but we're going to go visit Pastor Stu and his family right there. So you got people to see, you got places to go, 
So you got to go visit family and friends, right? You've got presents to buy. Sweetheart, this is for you, by the way. You got to open this later, but I just use this as a prop. Come over here, right? Give that to Aaron after the service, okay? And you got, you got, other, you got, you got a, a lot of other people to buy for there, Seth. So we're going to load you up with presents. There's nothing in those, though. Uh, you got cookies to make. Do you cook? Do, do you bake? My sister bakes, but I'll okay. give this to her. To do give that baking. to her. You got some baking to do. Um, you got decorations to hang. Oh, okay. Make sure you put that up. Make sure you hang that. Behold it. Hold it. Hold on to it, okay? You got letters to write. Make sure you don't miss any people, okay? So make Okay. Write that to your aunt. You've got pictures to take. This is my camera, so be careful with that. I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> you got projects to finish. You're probably not that handy, are you? No, not really. Right. Projects to finish. And um, you probably don't have any bosses to please, but they probably have bosses to please. They've got projects to finish. And then your, your mom's probably wanting you to do this. So just to get ready for the family that's coming over, right? Yeah. You got, yep. you got yeah, it? Like... You got all this stuff to behold. Good old-fashioned family. Behold the chaos of Christmas, right? And then all the while, you know, December 25th comes along, you remember something, something important that you're supposed to be celebrating, which is the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the incarnation. You are to behold that. Go ahead and behold that, Seth. Go ahead. Take it. You see, there's a problem, right? You're not able to. And what happens when we get the order mixed up, when we start putting second things, nothing wrong with any of this stuff, right? When we start putting second things first and first things second or third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, right? Then all of a sudden, this season, this chaos of Christmas zaps our energy, blurs our vision, steals our joy because we haven't put Jesus front and center, right? Give it up for Seth. You got, you can just go ahead, Seth. Hey, do me a favor, Seth. All that put on the front, front chair without breaking anything, especially the camera. We need to be careful to put first things first. And the danger of not putting Jesus front and center is that we often get crushed by this weight of the wave. We'll call it that, the weight of the wave. The solution, here's the solution. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for my burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's Jesus' promise to us. The passage of scripture that we're gonna look at is in Colossians chapter one. It's not typically your traditional Christmas story passage of scripture but it makes reference to this all-important principle of keeping Jesus in the flesh as God Emmanuel front and center. So if you have your Bible, turn with me. Otherwise, you can please go ahead and uh, look on the screen. Here's some context for you. Ironically enough, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today was one of the very first Christmas carols, one of the very first 
hymns in, in the early church. Either Paul wrote it or he's quoting someone else who wrote it and they used to sing this. So it's not just scripture, it's actually a song that they would sing when you look at the original language. It's kind of interesting. I find that really interesting because when you look at it, it's just a letter to a church giving instruction of who Jesus is and the importance of keeping at the center of your life, Jesus. And then all of a sudden in the middle of that letter in chapter one, Paul just breaks out into a song. He starts singing. He starts celebrating through a Christmas carol. You'll see what I mean. Now, by the way, I don't, I don't have anything against Christmas music either. I like Christmas music, and it's obvious, that, it's obvious that you do too. I'm just saying you might not. You just don't need to sing it before Thanksgiving, okay? Just let it go. Just saying. Verse 15 says this. He is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So the, you know, you've probably heard it before. We're created in God's image. You're an image bearer of God. But you also need to know that Jesus, well, he wasn't made in God's image. He is the exact image, the imprint of God invisible. He is the image that we look at. We want to know who God is. We look to Jesus. I love the way Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says it. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And, I love this, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You feel like your universe is falling apart. You feel like you know, you're just getting crushed. You can have confidence that what we celebrate through the incarnation is a little baby, but he is powerful. He is mighty. He's mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. He's able to hold the whole universe in his hands which includes your life as well. Paul also says these words, the firstborn over all creation, which is weird terminology. We don't really talk like that. When you think firstborn, you usually think the firstborn, right? The first one out of the womb, the first one in the family, and the brothers and sisters come afterwards. Well, in that culture, that could be true, but it also could be true that they weren't the firstborn, but they were first in inheritance. They were first in importance because of who they were. You think of, uh, in the Old Testament, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac wasn't technically the firstborn son. Ishmael was. But Isaac was referred to as the firstborn because he was of the utmost importance. Through him came the inheritance. Think about that. Why is that important? that Paul refers to Jesus as the firstborn. He's not saying that Jesus is like the firstborn of all creation. That's Adam. But he's saying that he's first in importance. He's first in priority, which has great implications for our lives today. I, I was reading C.S. Lewis over um, Thanksgiving at our my brother-in-law, Aaron's brothers, and he had a, a book by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. I love this quote that uh, Lewis talks about creation. He says these words, the created things, those things that um, uh, Seth was holding, all those created things, those created things in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we cling to them. If we just say, this is what I got, this is my priorities, this is what I'm holding on to, they will betray us, Lewis says, if we cling to them. It was not in them, it only came through them, meaning the, the beauty. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, cherished memories from our childhood and good images of what we really desire, but if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. I love these words, for they are not the thing itself, they are the scent of a flower, 
we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, the news from a country we have not yet visited. That's what Paul says in verse 16 as he, as he keeps going. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and what does it say? For him. And he, verse 17, is before all things, and all thing, in, in, in him all things hold together. In other words, you're created by him for him. Your life is for him and by him. Therefore, if he's the one holding it all together, if, you're feel, if your life feels like it's falling apart, it could be that your focus is not here. That would be a good, good like, logical process of thinking. Like, if I'm not focused here, it shouldn't come to a surprise that my life feels like it's falling apart because the scriptures say that he's the one that holds all things together. And then he continues this thought in verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. So he's the head, we're the church, which means we're the body that the head is over. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, meaning he was, he was the first one that conquered death, rose from the grave. And Paul is saying, when you come to the end of your life, this is a great promise that we get to experience, not just through the resurrection, but this is what the incarnation points to, that when you die, that's not the end of the story, because when you look at Jesus and what happened to him, death had no grip on him. We don't mourn to the sake of hopelessness when someone loses their life or when you lose a family member in Christ. You celebrate because death never had a hold on them. That's a great promise that Jesus Christ brought to us. And then it says that he's the, the, the head. Think about that. Everything in the body gets life because of the head. Meaning, if you want to experience resurrection, life, Christ's life power in your life, you've got to con be connected to who? The head. That, that's a constant theme that you see throughout the New Testament. Um, John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a branch remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, he can do nothing. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all are a result of what Paul says is being in step with the Spirit. You've got to be connected in order to experience those things. He's making this point by using this one word that you see on the screen. He uses the word preeminent, preeminent, which is when's the last time you used that in a conversation, right? Probably hasn't happened, but yet that word is so important because it simply means that Jesus surpasses all things in your life. He's more important than your friends. He's more important than your work. He's more important than anything. And therefore, because you start grabbing for stuff, especially this time of year through consumerism or through loneliness or through desperateness, you start reaching for the wrong things. You got to start putting him as preeminent, the thing that surpasses all things, Paul says, because he's the one that gives life. And then in verse 19, he says, for in him all the fullness of God I love these words that says it was, it, it, of God was pleased to dwell. It pleased him to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You've heard the phrase peace on earth and goodwill to men, right? Well, we need to recognize that our peace came at a great price. That goodwill that we have with God came through the hands that were pierced for our transgressions. The very being, Jesus, who came to this world, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, humbled himself in the form of a servant. The Bible says he did that for us, 
He was pleased to do it. He didn't come begrudgingly. He didn't come haphazardly. He didn't come like, oh, I don't really want to do this. He came and he was pleased to offer that for you and for me. Think about that. He did that for you. And that should mean everything to us. We need to keep him front and center. To think that we were the, we were the criminals and yet Jesus was the one that paid the penalty for us. We were the ones that deserved the death sentence, and Jesus was the one who got the death sentence. Paul puts it this way in verse 21, and you, fill in your name, you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's why Jesus came. And if we lose sight of that in the midst of this crazy season of Christmas paraphernalia crushing us with this weight of anxiety and stress, we've missed it all. Because that's, that's your story. And that's my story. What Paul writes here is you were once alienated. You once were in evil deeds. That's my story. Without Christ. I am not reconciled, I am not redeemed, I am not restored, but because we are those things in Christ, he calls us holy, pure and blameless and forgiven and free, none of which we have on our own good being, in our own good doing. It's because of what Jesus did for us. Do you understand now why in the middle of this letter, right, Paul's just saying, God is good, Jesus is preeminent. He's, he's, he's your highest pursuit. There is no greater goal. We, we like to say it in different ways. In the midst of writing to a church to give instruction, he cannot help himself but break out into a song of praise. Do you understand why now? This truth of the incarnation changed his life. And that doctrine of the incarnation literally led to devotion in his life. And that's what Christmas should do. Rather than being so focused on all that stuff, all, all this stuff that comes with this time of year, God is calling us to put Jesus front and center, to behold him, to not take our eyes off of him. And it should result in a reorientation of our lives. Should wipe away everything on the table, start anew, Put first things first. Do not let second, third, fourth things come in front and center. Have you ever come to the point where what Jesus did in the past, the incarnation, the cross, the resurrection, have you ever come to the point in your life where what Jesus did in the past is relevant, powerful to your today? In other words, has his history, his story, changed your story? Because until it becomes relevant, powerful to your present, it won't make any difference. And here's, here's the problem. If it's not personal to you and it's just a little thing, little tale that we tell once a year at Christmas time, all those other things that Seth was holding will become the first thing that you behold. And this will be number eight, number nine, number 10 on your list. Jesus will never become front and center in your life if he is not preeminent in your life. So here's the question I wanna leave our church with. Is Jesus front and center? Is Jesus front and center in your life? As you go these next few weeks, as family comes over and people that you might, 
may or may not want to visit and you get frustrating and there's bitterness that starts to breed up in your heart, it's Jesus front and center. As priorities overtake your schedule and you're really struggling to balance it all, you should ask the question, is Jesus front and center? It's Jesus front and center. When you want to buy that thing and there's that tie of greed and consumerism, ask the question, is Jesus front and center? You need to have the answer to that. Because what Paul says is he's preeminent. He's the one that surpasses everything. I want to invite our worship teams to come forward as we um, close in prayer. And our Wellsville campus is going to go into a time of communion. So the other campuses are, well, let's pray together and then you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this reminder of what the Apostle Paul gives to us, this early church, this hymn of praise, this celebration of what Christmas is all about. The incarnation is a reminder to us that you came in the form of a servant, Lord, humbled yourself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we wouldn't just live our lives any which way we want, but we would reorient our lives around you and put you first place. So I pray, Lord, as we get busy and overwhelmed by the different things in the holiday season, that we would never forget that you are front and center and that we would act accordingly in our lives as a result of that truth. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.